everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. Welcome. Welcome, adoptees, friends of adoptees, adoptive parents, birth parents, any people who are curious about the perspective of adoptees of the international transracial people of color category. That is what the show is about. I am, uh, again, your host, Mike McDonald, a.k.a. The Rambler, the guy who does the conversations, the talks with all of my guests, and I'm excited this week to bring you my guest conversation, my conversation with my guest. My, you know what I'm trying to say here. You know what I'm trying to say. The lovely Wendy Marie. Yes, the lovely Wendy Marie out of ALDC. There's Adoption Links DC down there in Washington, DC. Uh, she is from Maryland. She's a PhD candidate and an award winner of her prospective thesis, or I guess it's not a thesis, it's a doctoral PhD dissertation. That's right, dissertation. It's something I'm never going to pursue, but I'm glad that she is. <laughs> so, Wendy, thank you for doing all the hard work, uh, and good luck on your PhD, and I look forward to seeing that presentation at the Adoption Initiative Conference in, I, I believe it's two years, in, well, less than two years, so you better, you better get working on that, Okay. For the rest of you guys listening, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the show. This is a weekly podcast that goes out on Sundays, and we uh, basically tackle all the big issues here and some of the small issues, and this is a nice, safe space for adoptees to share their experiences, what they're going through, what they've been through, what they look forward to going through, and you know, this show can go on tangents. It's called The Rambler for a reason. We talk about all kinds of things. We could talk about... uh, you know, the uh, favorite uh, animal of the guest <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. But look, keep an open mind and you will learn a lot about all these different experiences of adoptees. Okay, I swear, every episode brings something new and something different. So even if you don't know the person that I'm talking to or talking with during the show, I encourage you to keep listening. All right, listen to everything. You'll enjoy it, I promise, and you will learn something about each and every one of these individuals and uh, all the different things that they've been through and that they bring to the table. All right? With that, why don't we uh, get listening to uh, dive right in? Let's just get this conversation going, and you guys can enjoy my talk with Winnie Marie and see what she's bringing to the table. Yes. All right, so enjoy the show. Enjoy. Exactly. Like, wait, what did I say? Exactly. It's too late. But it's too late. (laughs) No, most of them, they're all good. Nobody has said anything so far that they're like, this is terrible. You have to delete that. Like, get it off the record. So we're doing good. But you don't have anything that you're going to withhold, right, today? I don't think so. No. <laughs> Not to my knowledge. You're an open book? Yes. Okay. At right now. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It might get very deep and personal. Exactly. You could cry. I could cry. Oh, Do you get emotional? Are you an emotional person? Um, I'm a very emotional person inwardly, but not necessarily outwardly. Yeah. So a lot of my friends think that I have like no emotions <laughs> and that it's just like, 
But it's because I usually process my emotions like in my personal time, so I know mm-hmm. like what my response is gonna be, and I don't just like <laughs> you know I don't know. It's it's just this way like. If there's a big decision, I always like to think about it first, and uh-huh. then I like announce people my plan, so they think that it's like really like planned out and strategic. But no, I have that thought about it. That does sound planned out. And strategic. Yeah, I just don't like to just. I don't know. You don't just like to throw it out into the world. Yeah, no, not all willy nilly. I like to. Nobody you know, will catch you crying. No. Have you ever cried in somebody in front of somebody else? Yeah, I mean I have, but not like as a general rule. I'm just not out here crying in front of people. <laughs> no, you're just not like crying all the time everywhere. No, although once I do remember when I was in undergrad, um, me and a couple of my girlfriends were watching The Notebook, and you just have to cry when you watch that movie. So <laughs> there were lots of tears. So actually, now that I think about it, I don't know why they think that I'm not emotional. That was a group cry. Yeah, it was a group cry. But that's because they were all, you were all together. Oh, Like, yeah, you know, so. it was like a girlfriend thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. If there are tears in this interview, it'll be great that it's recorded. Because <laughs> it's so rare? <laughs> yes. It's like, oh... You're in such a rare element right now. Yes, like a rare, windy, crying sighting. Oh, we're glad this has been recorded. Yes. (laughs) Everybody, quiet. You can hear her sobbing. (laughs) Hear that sound? Her tears were falling to the ground. I want to hear that. I don't know if the mic is that good. We're going to have to get you closer to the mic. You can cry into your water so it makes a little, like, splash sound, a little drip. Yeah. That'd be good. I'll keep that in mind. Well, what do you cry about? What do, <laughs> what do you I get cry? emotional oh about? My, wow, that you're like so all the way in the deep end, right off the. No, bed. that's not that. That's not that deep. Yes, yes, because what I cry about is very personal and deep. So I used okay. to. So no, I do cry. Um, when I think about my mother, uh, my adopted mother, because uh-huh. she passed away when I was ten years old, she had breast cancer. I'm it sorry. ran in her family. Yeah. Um, so like her, she had two other sisters that passed from cancer, and then oh, one geez, wow. surviving sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so when I think back on you know her, you know her illness, um, you know because I really watched her battle cancer. Yeah. Um, so that definitely is very emotional, especially because at that time. I had it in my mind that you shouldn't cry, so I never... Why? Really, where did that come from? It, you know what? I will actually tell you where it came from. Well, um, let's get through this story first, and then we're going to go back and get, get into that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, yeah, so I just had this idea that you weren't supposed to cry, you weren't supposed, like, you're supposed to be strong, and, you know, so I did not actually process that grief and those emotions. Mm-hmm. So now you know, like several, several years after, you know, she passed and even now into, you know, adulthood, when I think about it, I do get very emotional because I'm like, I should have, you know, let those emotions out, but Mm -hmm. I also should have, you know, spent more time. You know, you always have these regrets no matter what, like I should have spent more time or, you know, whatever. So yeah, so I do cry about that. So that's something that will give me tears. Get you going? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there like any themes or anything that remind you of your mother that'll trigger that? No, it's just like when I'm like, by specifically thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why, what was instilled in you that said you will not cry? It was so terrible. It was actually, um, it was a movie. So it wasn't a person. <laughs> so I don't know if this makes it better or worse. Um, what is the movie with, is it a little princess, but to the Shirley Temple version? Um, there was a Shirley Temple version of that movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shirley Temple, yes. I only remember, wait, is it A Little Princess or The Littlest Princess? A Little Princess, right? When she, uh-huh. when her father was in the military and then she ends up getting, like they think she goes to stay at this girl's home, but then they get word that he 
died and left her penniless, so they make her be um, like a maid in the girls' uh-huh. home. So anyway, so in that movie, he's telling his daughter, you know, like, be a strong little soldier, you know, don't cry, because I think he's going off to war or something uh-huh. like that. And that, I guess I must have recently seen it, I don't know, but it stuck in my mind, like, no, like, just be strong, don't cry. And that's terrible, terrible advice. Like, you should just cry. You should just bottle let it, it up. out. Nope, bottle it up. <laughs> so, yes, that's, yeah, I do not advise bottling up your emotions. It ends up being very destructive. So, yeah. <laughs> Has it been destructive in your life, do you feel? Has it, um, like, manifested in some terrible way other than your friends saying that you're a robot <laughs> right <laughs> no I guess not just um I definitely when I was younger like high school I had a lot of problems um handling emotion or like processing like strong emotion oh, so really? I think that that's I think that that's unhealthy just in general like well, not being yeah. able to process process human yeah emotion yeah mm-hmm. yes since you are a human you know you should do that allegedly <laughs> right we don't know <laughs> we don't know so yeah I mean did you do you feel well your father was a, a marine or is a marine yeah once a marine always a marine mm-hmm. he, you said he still has the high and tight yes absolutely yes <laughs> so do you did you feel like you could relate to Shirley Temple I guess so maybe that was part of it too did your father ever tell you to be a good soldier no, good marine never. and never to cry <laughs> never you don't cry Wendy <laughs> No, he never said anything like that. Bottle it up forever. No. There will be no hugs in this family or open no. displays of affection. No, he was a very loving, <laughs> and he was a very loving person, very loving, very kind person. So, no, it was no personal, you know, <laughs> instruction. It was just somehow from that movie, I just accepted it. Interesting. So you didn't see any other than <laughs> that they were in the military similarities between this guy and your father. Right, yeah, no. Actually, you know, in The Little Princess, you know, I guess we're just going to talk about this We're just going to talk about this movie and dissect um, it. Her dad was very, you know, very loving and very, you know, like, I think that was his only child, so he was, like, very giving uh-huh. and very, you know, a great dad. I mean, he had to go off to war, but, I mean, other than that. Well, that's not his fault. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so. I Unless he was the one who was like, I'm going to war by no. myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Okay. And okay, so you grew up in Tennessee, correct? Correct. Did you? Well, he was. A, is there a Marine base in Tennessee? Um, there actually used to be a naval base, or I guess there technically still is a naval base in Millington, Tennessee, but it's really? not active anymore. Okay. So when we first moved there, which was when I was, I don't know, maybe three or four, uh-huh. um, my dad, you know, worked on the military base, and we would go there a lot, you know, to the grocery store, PX, all that, and there were, mm-hmm. you know, active military personnel there, and sure, it was very, yeah. you know, very lively, but then after a while, I think, yeah, it clo- closed. like, shut or, it down? Yeah, like, it was still open, but yet not with active people. I don't know, whatever the Maybe, like, is. a reserve base or something? Right, yeah, something yeah. like that. I don't know. So you still live out there? No, my dad actually lives in the Philippines now. Oh, really? Yes. Do you plan on going to visit him in the Philippines? No, because he's planning on moving back. Oh, really? Yeah. Where are they going to move to? Back to Tennessee? To Wisconsin. Why Wisconsin? Because that's where my dad is from. So he's originally from Wisconsin. He's originally from Wisconsin. His brothers and sisters all still live there. His mom still lives there. Okay. So most of his side of the family is from Wisconsin. Correct. Mm-hmm. 
Did you guys move around a lot after Tennessee, or was it mostly just Tennessee? No, it was mainly Tennessee. So my parents, well, my dad, parents, however you want to call it, were stationed in Japan um, uh-huh. when they first adopted me. And so after, I guess, his tour or assignment in Japan, then we were at Camp Lejeune. And mm-hmm. then um, I think maybe then from at from there, we came to Tennessee, and then we're there, like, the rest of the so time. So they adopted you to Japan from Korea. Right. Mm-hmm. How long did, were you in Japan for before you ended up in North oh, Carolina? Oh, so I was in Japan a couple years, actually. So you grew up in, like, on an American base in Japan? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how was that? Well, I mean, I only lived there a couple years, so, I mean, I don't remember, so uh, I guess Well, how, how many years is a couple of years? Like, two. Two of the couple. In a couple, there are two. <laughs> okay, so you're... you're <laughs> it wasn't an literal, open... Room. The literal couple. <laughs> the literal couple, yes. So, two years, and then you moved to... Camp Lejeune. Camp Lejeune. And then... North Carolina. Memphis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long were you in North Carolina for? I guess only maybe, like, a year or so. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That seems like a short amount of time. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I should ask more questions. I don't know. All right, and then, so how was Tennessee? Tennessee was good. So I grew up in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Justin Timberlake. With Justin Timberlake, yes. He's from Millington, so yeah. I don't know where that is. Um, it's right outside of Memphis. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but he claims, Me- I guess you can't claim, like, Millington. you got to be like, no, I'm from Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, see, you don't know where Millington is. Yeah. No one else knows where Millington is. Well, I don't really is. know where Memphis is either, but it sounds more famous than Millington to me. Well, Memphis is in Tennessee. Yeah, well, I, I got that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm just trying to help you out. What is Memphis famous for? Barbecue, the blues. Uh-huh. Um, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, well, is there anything other than <laughs> those? I don't think so. Where is, isn't Elvis from Tennessee? Elvis is, well, originally from Mississippi, but uh-huh. yes, Tennessee. He settled in Tennessee. Well, in Memphis, yes. In Memphis. Actually, my mom's side of the family was from northern Mississippi and Memphis, mm-hmm. and some of my mom's older siblings went to high school with Elvis Presley. Really? Yes. That's and interesting. We have a Christmas card from the Presley estate <laughs> as part of our, you know, like family. Really? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is super cool. Yep. <laughs> So, like, did they did they ever keep in touch with the old, the old Presley? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> they were, like, hanging out with them? No. Seeing them during the holidays? No. Still don't exchange Christmas cards anymore? No, I think that's over. <laughs> oh. All right, so, so how was growing up in Memphis? I mean, I think it was okay. I mean, I love Memphis, so, I mean, I guess that means it was good. Um, I mean, like, Memphis is a very black-white city. Um, like, literally. Like, yeah, well, yeah, like, as far as population-wise. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there weren't many other Asians or mm-hmm. Latinos at that time anyway. And actually, the neighborhood that I grew up in was undergoing white flight when my parents purchased the home, which is why it was, like, available and at such a good price. What caused the white flight? What do you what do you mean what caused white flight? The same thing that causes white flight everywhere. Black people moving in and white people's racism. I mean They were like, Oh no, black people are coming. We gotta get the hell out of here. Yes. Where do they go from there? Um just farther outside of the city of Memphis. To Millington. Yeah, to Millington. <laughs> <laughs> Another suburbs. Yes. Okay. So yeah. Interesting. Okay. So they got a cheaper house in Memphis because of this white flight, which I've never heard of before until now. Are you serious? Yeah. What do you mean? I've never heard of white flight before. 
Oh my, are you for real? Yeah. Like, oh my god. Usually gosh. what I hear about is gentrification, which is the exact opposite of that what you're talking the exact about. Opposite, that is the exact opposite, but it's still, okay, yeah, so white flight is when there's like a neighborhood, you know, predominantly white neighborhood, um, and then, you know, a black family moves in, and then and all like, the white we got, people. There goes the neighborhood. Yeah, there goes the neighborhood, and the reason why there goes the neighborhood is because all the people move out, and so then it creates an uneven, like, housing market also. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, racism. Did you have to experience any of that? Like, was any of that directed towards you? Um, I would say there was a lot of teasing and a lot of ignorance, but I'm not sure if I would call it mm-hmm. racism. Um, I was definitely, like, the first Asian person that a lot of people had ever seen, mm-hmm. like, in real life. Black or white. Yeah, I mean, really. So, I mean, people have a lot of questions because they're like, oh, what is this person? Like this, yeah, I know, right? Like, what is this person? A person, first of all. Um, But like, you know, just a lot of ignorant questions. And people, I think even today, people still aren't very familiar with Asia. So when I was growing up. Not too much, no. Yeah, it was a lot of the like, are you Chinese? What are you? Are you from Asia? And I'm like, you do know China's in Asia. But you know, whatever, hey, okay. Um, geography lesson quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of experiences like that. Mm-hmm. Was there like a bully or anything? Was there one particular kid or a group of kids who would like pick on you and no. ask dumb questions repeatedly? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know that's a good. No, there was never like a bully. It was just like. Literally every day, people would ask me, like, are you Chinese? Are you from Asia? Do you know Jackie Chan? Do you know Connie Chung? Really? Do you own... Do you Connie at- Chung? Was yeah. she, like, a big figure in Tennessee? Well, you know, at that time period, because I'm 33. So, like, at that time period when I was, like, going through, like, middle school or high school, uh-huh. I think that was, like, the only, like, Asian representation. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Connie Chung. Yeah, no. Had to reach <laughs> way back for that one. <laughs> Seriously. Was she, I guess she was a national news figure, right? Yeah. All right. I don't know why I associate her with, like, the New York news scene. Oh, okay, yeah. No. I don't know. Well, anyways, so so how was it, I guess, in the neighborhood with this white flight and everything like that? How did your, what was your family's experience with that? Did they... Just happy that we had a home, like a house, you know, an actual house, and not living in apartments. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you know that's a good question. Were you living in apartments before that? Yeah. So we were once we first got to Memphis, we lived in a few different apartments, like a few different areas, and then um, I just remember the story of like they were, you know, wanted to have a home and have like that stability and I guess like that piece of the American dream, have mm-hmm. your own house, and that my mom actually had been looking through the paper, looking for, you know, homes that were for sale, and she found the listing, and they really liked it because it was like one dollar down or closing cost or whatever it was. Nice. And so they were like, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I think they were just happy to have, you know, a house in a neighborhood. And, uh-huh. you know, I guess it may have been a little, um, I don't know, like, there were definitely families that, you know, my family knew and that stayed there for a few years. But then afterwards, you know, like one by one, people just started, you know, moving away. White flighting. Yes, white flighting. So, yeah. So, I don't know. They probably were a little sad to see people that they had been neighbors with for a few years. You know, all of them basically moved. Not basically. All of them moved. Were they, was your family like the last white family in the neighborhood? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then what happened? Well, I mean, we weren't, maybe the other families were more like upwardly mobile or, you know, had more income. And especially Mm -hmm. by that time, you know, my mom had passed away. So we only had like one income. So we weren't, you know, moving anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean. We could have moved on base, I guess. Was there any on base housing? No, I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) I have no idea. How long was your dad in the Marine Corps for? Oh, gosh, I feel like I should know all the answers to these questions. Did, yeah. And I have What's no happening? clue. I know. It's just, oh, this interview is going was, up in flames. <laughs> was he an officer or was he, he enlisted? He was not an officer. So he was an enlisted man. Yes, he was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Oh, wow. Corps. That's pretty, we got pretty high. So he was a gunnery sergeant. He must have been in for a little bit then, right? Sure. At least, I want to say <laughs> at least double digits. at least like 10 or 15 years, I feel yes. like. Yes. So he was in for a long time. Yes. I feel like 16 is a number that's floating around in my head, but I don't know. That could be completely wrong. I need to ask way more questions. What did he do in the Corps? I don't know. (laughs) He just did Marine shit. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Punch people in the face and do pull-ups. That sounds sounds about right. That's... (laughs) I don't know. Actually, I mean, he was a machine gunner in the Vietnam War. I know wow. that. On okay. a helicopter. And, on a helicopter? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he was a, after that, <laughs> I mean, he did like inventory and stuff. I think it was like his job afterwards. Wait, like, logistics? On a base. Yeah, logistics. There we go. Yeah. Sounds fancier. <laughs> inventory. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like logistics to me. Yes. <laughs> I'm no expert on the core. <laughs> yes. Logistics, but even the logistics guy will punch you in the face and do pull-ups if uh, you're absolutely. a marine. I think. Yes, <laughs> of course. Did you? So you had siblings, or were you the only child? No, the only child. Yeah, yeah. They got it right, so no need. For- <laughs> <laughs> is that what they said to you? Yes. They said you're perfect. Yes. This is it. One was enough. Either that or, like, you were too much of a handful. One was definitely enough. So, were you? Were you a handful as a kid? I was a handful. I mean, like, some of my aunts and stuff just say, like, I had so much energy when I was, like, a toddler. You know, like, growing up, like, younger ages, uh-huh. like, so much energy, always into everything, super friendly. Um, yeah, so they always talk about, like, how high energy I was. Oh, yeah? So, yeah? Are you still, like, high energy, do you feel like? I feel like I'm more mellow. You mellowed out? Yeah, I think so. What about, like, extroversion? Would you consider yourself an extrovert? I wouldn't consider myself an extrovert, but other people do consider me an extrovert. (laughs) Why do you feel like they classify you that way if you don't... It seems like there's a disconnect here. There is, because actually I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, and I was mentioning to her that I was feeling very, like, antisocial, and she was like, oh, this is not like you at all. You are, like, such an extrovert, so are you okay? You know, is something going on? How Mm -hmm. are you feeling? And I was like... Oh, I really wouldn't think of myself as an extrovert. Really? Yeah. But I don't know. I think... Do you consider yourself an introvert? Um, I wouldn't take it that far. You're an ambivert. Yes, yes. I think people probably think I'm an extrovert because I have been very involved. Like, even if you think about, like, in high school, I was in, like, all the clubs. Um, I was a cheerleader. I was on the oh, dance yeah? team. I ran track. I ran cross country. I mean, so I was really involved. I was yeah. in the Air Force JROTC. So I was like super involved in all types of activities. And it was the same, you know, like in college. So I think people, you know, if they met me during those time periods, they're like, oh, you're very extroverted, outgoing, yeah. always getting involved. Well, that sounds extroverted to me if you're doing all these social activities and everything. Was the Air Force JROTC the only military ROTC in your high school? 
Yes, and we were actually the only Air Force JROTC <clears throat> in the city of Memphis. All the rest were Army. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What it was that by like how was how did that work out? <laughs> um, that's a, I don't know. There was an Air Force JROTC in Millington, um, and so we like in the Millington High School, I guess. So we would uh-huh. do joint events and like military balls and stuff like that. With oh, them. I didn't even know you guys did that kind of stuff in yeah. JROTC. Mm-hmm. Military balls. Yes, very official. It's just like a dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was it like the, okay, so was the high school like a, you went to a public high school and everything? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you have these mill balls with the other Air, Air Force JROTC. Yes. In Millington? In Millington, Tennessee, yes. Okay. What did your, what, did your dad, was your dad trying to encourage you? Was this an optional thing or was it like... You, you could do this if you want. So Air Force JROTC, I mean, you know, it was like administered through the high school. It was optional as far as like for students, you know, obviously. And my dad never, I guess, encouraged me to participate. And I think he was kind of, he was probably kind of happy and proud. Yeah. But he did not want me to join the military. Why not? I mean, because he didn't want me to die. <laughs> <laughs> You thought he was, like, worried for your life? I mean, what was happening at the time? I mean, well, eventually... High school, I don't think anything was happening. (laughs) But eventually something will happen, and then if you have joined the military, you're just in there. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, I did do one semester of ROTC in college. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go to college? At the University of Memphis. Okay, so you stayed in Memphis. I stayed in Memphis. How big was your high school class? Um, A couple hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did a lot of people end up going to University of Memphis with you? Yes. They call it Tiger High because <laughs> the mascot for the University of Memphis are the Tigers. Uh-huh. And Tiger High, like high schools. Because yeah, Okay, I just had to break it down. <laughs> you hadn't heard of White Flight, so I was just trying I, to... I know. haven't heard of White Flight before. <laughs> so I just, you know, not sure how much you know. So, you know, I was very angry about having to go to the University of Memphis. Okay, so that wasn't your choice to go there. No, it wasn't my top choice. It was Where did you want to go to school? Away. <laughs> you wanted to leave Wherever Mem- so you, away you, was. Originally, you wanted to get out of Memphis. I wanted to get out of Memphis. Where did you want to go? Just away. Just anywhere? Yes. As far away as you can go or, or like well, I had Tennessee a- State? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I had applied to Washington University in St. Louis. I okay. applied to Ithaca College in New York. <laughs> This is far. Yeah. And, you know, like some other schools, like I think like North Carolina, South Carolina, Uh and just a variety of schools. But I didn't get accepted into any schools with full funding. Okay. And so that was like a big issue. Your dad couldn't pass on his uh, GI Bill? No. (laughs) No. You don't want to do that? No. So I got accepted, you know, into the University of Memphis with, Uh you know, full academic scholarship. That's pretty good. Yeah. And so the compromise was my dad was like, well, I'll pay for you to stay on campus so you can still kind of get that away from home feeling. College feeling, yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that was really great. And, it, you know, it worked out. I was very bitter the first semester. I was like, I don't want to be here, like, at this school that I'm too Did you see, like, a lot of your old high school friends there? Yes, everyone was there. That's how I wanted (laughs) to go away. Your whole high school... Did you feel like the need towards the end of high school to escape high school? Were you like, I'm going to graduate and get the F out? Yeah, I think that's what the feeling was like. I'm over it. Like, I've been here. Yeah. You know, like, I'm ready for bigger and better, I don't know, things. Who knows? Is that what the plan was? Like, I'm just going to do just anything to get out of here? Yeah, I think so. I was just ready to, like, see a different, you know, part of the country. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
But it ended up okay. Like, after I got over the bitterness, you know, I really enjoyed my time at the University of Memphis. So, yeah? Yeah, no regrets. So what did you study at University of Memphis? Um, well, I got my undergraduate degree in sociology. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, quote-unquote, when I grew up. So I was just like, I'm in college because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Like, you go to college. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, so I'm just like taking classes. You know, of course, like the first year you had to take whatever All these required, right? yeah. So I'm just, okay, that's cool. And then I just started looking like literally at all the courses offered just mm-hmm. to see what interested me. And it turned out to be a lot of sociology classes. So towards the end, you know, it's like my scholarship is about to run out. And so I went to, you know, like academic advising. And they're like, your scholarship is about to run out. (laughs) And they're like, but you only have two classes left if you want to get a degree in sociology. So I was like, that's what we're going to (laughs) do. So, yeah. Well, what what were the interesting classes that you liked in sociology. So I definitely remember like a sociology of education course that mm-hmm. was super interesting because like I said, the neighborhood I grew up in was undergoing, you know, eventually completely underwent white flight, I guess, if that's the term. Mm-hmm. And I went to an optional school for middle school. So like advanced academic, whatever. School. Oh. And, you know, really great resources, great teachers, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then I went to my neighborhood school for high school and it was night and day. Like it was like orders worse. It was or just, orders better. <laughs> it was just like under resourced. Like what I was learning, mm. I, I distinctly remember like my freshman year in high school. Like I had learned everything already yeah. that they were teaching in ninth grade. Like I had already learned it in middle school. So did you like test out of those and get no. bumped up a grade or anything? No, I was just still taking classes. But <laughs> <laughs> you were just like sleeping yeah, through class. Like, yeah. and like I got this right, and then I just felt like. I was so angry because I was like, why doesn't this school have all the resources that this other school had? Uh Like, this is so unfair. Like, I remember being in classes with students who were reading, like, way below grade level. And I was like, what are they going to do when they graduate? Like, this is, like, terrible. Why isn't it this, you know, why isn't all these, why isn't education equal? Um, And so when I took that sociology course... um, you know, why, that so why isn't education equal? Racism. All the answers are going to be racism. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was like this school district, I'm assuming that just underwent this white flight to, it assumed this curriculum would stay the same. Right. But I mean, when there are like fewer resources, when teachers leave, when the funding, you know, if funding is based. Did they on, also like, leave with the white flight? Yes. I feel like it was just completely different. Actually, if you look at the yearbooks for my high school, it was like you can see it in like the demographics of the students. Really? Where it's like all white students and then like slowly like a few black students. And then eventually it's like all black students and like a few white students. And you. Yeah. And me. <laughs> and me. Yes. Were you the only Asian in the school? No, there was one other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Who who was that? He was a grade above me, and he was half Chinese, half white. Okay. So did everybody try to hook you up with him? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Like, you should date that guy. He's Asian. (laughs) Right, exactly. I think he's Chinese like you. Right, yes, exactly. You mean you're not Chinese? (laughs) Yeah. All right, so so you take sociology. So this education course interested you? Yeah, the education. I distinctly remember that. That's the only class that I remember. Sorry, that's the only one that I remember that stuck out to me. <laughs> yeah, I just okay. because it was like, wow, this is like answering like all these questions that uh-huh. I had. So yeah, that's all I got. Sorry, I should have a better memory of this. No, no, that's good. I mean, did you? So did you cons- continue that track 
of sociology after college? I did. So I really, you know, after I took the sociology courses that I don't remember, but, you know, were very impactful to me in uh-huh. some way. Um, I just knew. Well, like, in, what way, in what ways were they well, it just, very impactful to It just you? felt like all the questions I had about the world, like I could find the answers in sociology. Like the answers were there. I felt like so um, enlightened. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I just want to share this knowledge with everyone. Uh-huh. So I'm the type of person, if I learn something new, I'm going to tell you. Whether you want to know it or not and whether it's actually, you know, very practical or not. You're just going to know it. Um, So I was like, I want to be a university professor. Like, this is where it's at. Wow. Yes. So I applied to grad school, you know, like, I guess my senior year of undergrad. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a university professor. And like, that's my life. Did you like look up anything about being a university professor? No, I had no clue. (laughs) You're just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. No clue whatsoever. So I applied to all these schools. I'm like, marching on to my destiny and I got rejected <laughs> from every single school I applied oh, to. Oh no, why? I don't know. It was just crushing. My spirits Oh were, God. Actually, no, my spirits weren't crushed. I take that back because I was like, it's okay. Next year is my year. Um, but in the meantime, like I got a job because you have to get a job once you graduate. That's what um, they tell you, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, you kind of have to Although do that. all these millennials, that's you hear true. all of them go back home. Yeah, that's true. So maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. We were lied to. We were lied to. Oh, terrible. I could have gone back and lived with my parents. Yes, for at least another decade. At least. <laughs> at least, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very safely another decade. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I applied while well, I was working, I applied to grad school, I applied again. I was like, this is my year going to grad school, being a professor. I got rejected again. Uh-huh. So this is a second year, but I was like, it's okay. There's next year. <laughs> and so <laughs> I like the next year. Where came did you around. work during all this? Oh, so I started out working. So I always liked children, other people's children. Um, so I <laughs> knew <laughs> I wanted to do something with kids. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, kids. Um, Because, I mean, like, I had been camp counselors before, like, when I was in undergrad, like, during the summers and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, kids, great, child welfare. So I had applied to work at this social services agency that Mm -hmm. did, like, children's services type, you know, jobs. So I applied there, um, and they called me, and they were like, hey, we don't have any openings. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, it gets better. Hold on. So they called me, and they were like, hey, we don't have any openings, but your application was on file. We just got this contract to do housing for um, victims of Hurricane Katrina, because this was in 2005. Uh So they were like, would you be interested? I'm like... Uh, a job? Yes, I am interested in a job. So <laughs> I did that. I worked at that social services agency for a year, which was how long their contract was. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really great to be able to help people, like people who had come to Memphis. They really literally had nowhere to go. They had no belongings. So they were coming up from New Orleans. Right, exactly. Yeah, and we were able to put them in an apartment, get them, you know, furniture, mm-hmm. you know, appliances, everything. That's awesome. Yeah, and that felt really great to actually really be able to help someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I did that for a year, and then that contract was up, and I had the opportunity to either stay with that agency or go on to the Department of Children's Services. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do that because I wanted to work in child welfare. Because you love other people's kids. I love other people's kids, yes. (laughs) So I was um, an investigator for children's services. What does that mean? So that means, like, you know, you can call, like, child abuse hotline, basically, and report instances of child abuse. Okay. And then somebody has to go out and like investigate it to see if there was actually abuse that happened, if there, you know. So, so that's you. So that was me. So yes, so I did that for about a year. And then How was that job? It was very frustrating. 
I mean, it sounds frustrating. It was frustrating. That sounds soul-crushing is how I would put that. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, So it was very frustrating because when I first started working, I was kind of like in a general, um, like just a general case manager, case, you know, investigator. So sometimes you'd have to go out on call where it's like there's really not enough information to figure out who this family is or who this child is, Mm -hmm. and the claims are completely false. Because a lot of people use that as a way to, like, get back at their ex or their child's father oh. or child's mother or sister, you know, whatever. And, yeah. And that's, you know, a waste of resources, but also a terrible thing to do just in general. Yeah. Um, so that makes it frustrating. <clears throat> um, and then I did... Um, start working for the severe abuse investigative team. Oh, God. So that means there is, like, actually abuse that's already been substantiated Uh in the home, and you're able to provide more services to the family, to the child. So on one hand, you have more resources to provide services, but on the other hand, you're dealing with actual abuse that is, you know, has definitely happened. So So is this the same as CPS? Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I did um, for a year, and it was very... It's very emotional. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that. Sure. Yeah, and very stressful. Did you bottle it up, or did you like <laughs> I, go in your car and cry? <laughs> well, there were night? no tears. There was a lot of alcohol. Um, there were a lot of margaritas. <laughs> cried to a bottle. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> there was a lot of happy hours. <laughs> well, I guess so, you yeah. need that after. I yeah. mean, what, what kind of day is that like? I mean, it's really terrible because it's, you know, a regular nine to five that you're out in the community or at schools, you know, talking to children, um, conducting interviews, talking to parents, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that. And sometimes having to remove children from the home because they are actually, you know, in harm's way. Right. So, yeah. So it's very um, it's very sad. No kidding. Are there any cases that stick out to you? Um, Yeah, definitely. I mean, just cases where there was a mother who had. You know, a few, maybe three children, and all of them had been removed except, so maybe she had four children, and all of them had been removed except the oldest, Uh um, who was, you know, obviously needed to be removed because she was not being cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, that's just very sad, you know, to have to deal with that, or, you know, cases where it is, um, a case is being called in on someone, like, every day. So wow. I remember one woman that I was, like, literally at her home, like, every other day because a new case would be called in. Who's calling? Like, a um, neighbor? The I mean, she thought it was maybe member? a neighbor or, like, a, you know, family member. But, you know, you don't know. It's anonymous. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Even as the investigator, you don't know who's calling it in? Mm-mm. I mean, if they, yeah, it's anonymous. So, yeah. How? So what happens to these kids then? I mean, most of the times, well, if it's potential, you know, there's some type of harm, uh-huh. um, then the child will be temporarily removed from the home. And, you know, typically they can maybe go to like a relative or someone else who is going to say, you know, I'll keep this child away from, you know, the family member or whatever right. until a complete investigation can be conducted. Mm-hmm. Um, or in cases where it is extremely severe and there is no family member or that would just cause more harm for the child, then they might get um, taken into temporary care, mm-hmm. which might just be 24 hours or 48 hours until like next steps can be taken. Do you feel like you connected with any of your kids or uh, had issues with it as an adoptee? Um, That's a good question. I did. There is one case that that distinctly, that sticks out in my mind because it was a child who who was in harm's way. His mother had some, um, like, mental disabilities a little bit, and 
I think he had been maybe removed from the home once before, but he was just like such a loving child. He's definitely in elementary school at younger age. Mm -hmm. And I had been out there several times and finally was like, we have to, you know, remove this child from your care because she would not uh, participate in some of the services that we wanted to provide for her. And I remember um, he had a close relationship with his principal of his elementary school. And, you know, you want to say, like, oh, taking this child to home is in the child's best interest. But you really don't know what might happen after that. Mm -hmm. And the principal, I remember, was very emotional about it because he, it turned out he had grown up in foster care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just makes you think, like, you hope you're doing the best, but you really have no idea. Because after, you know, that child gets into foster care, you never know what might happen with multiple placements or, you know, it's very um, traumatic to be taken from your family, Mm -hmm. no matter, even if you are in an abusive situation, it's still, you know, traumatic. Of course. So, yeah. Are there any like other specific instances or kids that like you think of like on a, on a regular basis? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. You you kind of put that behind you. Yes. Okay. So you get done with your investigative time, right? The contract, I guess is up or how does that work out? Um, I decided that I had had enough. (laughs) How long did that last? It was only like, I only worked there like a year. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, they have a high turnover rate. Do you feel like? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I actually went on to work for another social services agency who had a contract with helping um, people who are on government assistance um, to try to get off government assistance mm-hmm. and find, you know, stable employment and things like that, which sounds good, but it's also another frustrating job. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, because if you don't have a lot of education, if you haven't completed high school, there's it's a limit to what type of job that sure, you can yeah. get and the types of jobs that you can get aren't going to pay you enough to really get off of government to assistance. Like live. Yeah. Like to pay rent, to pay groceries. If you have children to pay for childcare. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like, it sounds like a good idea, but you know, practically if there are no jobs that are high paying enough right. to sustain, you know, a family, then what so where do, do they have to like to place do? them? Um, it was just like, you know, low sk- lower skill jobs, right, you yeah. know, or like cashiers <laughs> at a gas station or, you know, something in retail or, you know, like something like that. So it's not really going to pay for right. an adult and a child. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so they're already like getting screwed on the onset with the education. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, we had services to help um, the people in the program, like get their GED, but still like... Even if you have a GED, again, like your options for employment. It's very are, limited. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so how long did you last doing that? <laughs> Probably about another year. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, you're still trying to apply to grad exactly. school and apply well, to grad school and yes, apply to grad school. So, exactly. So you do that for another year doing <laughs> right. all these social services, which are just soul sucking. Yes, exactly. How did you maintain strength through all of this? Um, Other than happy hours and margaritas. Right, exactly. I mean, they do come in handy. Um, You know, so in that last job, I started working on the weekends at a nightclub. So, okay. I know it's totally random. So I remember it. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was sitting at my desk, and a girlfriend of mine called me, and she was like, "Hey, she's like this club. It's opening. They're looking to hire like eighty people. Like we should go get a job for what? Just for whatever, anything, <laughs> just anything." And so I get. I don't know. 
I guess I must have been feeling like, sure, why not? So, like, that same day, like, I went to the club, filled out an application to be, you know, a hostess, a bartender. Like, I just applied for everything. This is in Memphis. In Memphis, yes. You're not, like, a certified bartender. No, no. I'm just like, <laughs> they're like, what job are you applying for? I'm like, well, what jobs are you, you know, have available? And I got hired. For what? To be a... Bouncer. Yeah, to be a bouncer. <laughs> uh, no, to be a cocktail waitress. That's what I got hired to be, a cocktail okay. waitress. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, let's do this. Like, this is kind of like my escape from this, like, social services Monday through Friday, come work at the nightclub, which is just completely different, um, and just, like, have this kind of getaway, you know, like, in my mind. Um, so I got uh-huh. hired as a cocktail waitress. Now, I know earlier I said that I was a cheerleader when I was in high school and on the dance team, but I have no coordination just in my regular (laughs) daily life. How did you get on both of those teams? (laughs) I think I have coordination if it's like, you know, a routine, (laughs) but not just in my like daily life, like walking to and from. So Uh I quickly... Actually, you know, I found that to be true. Most dancers that I know in gymnasts, they can't walk at all. Yeah, I don't know. Unless they're on like a four inch beam or a skate or something. Yeah, so it's kind of weird that way, but I realized very quickly that I would not make a good cocktail waitress. Like, I was like, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to be spilling drinks on everybody. I'm going to get fired. Like, this is not going to be How many glasses good. did you break before you realized this? No, I realized this early on in the training. So I was like... <laughs> Okay, this is not going to work for me. Uh-huh. So they had these other people who were hired as hostesses. And I was like, that's where it's at. I need to do that. And so <laughs> a nightclub is not necessarily as organized as you may think. So one day in training, <laughs> you know, they had like different training for like the different people. And instead of going to the cocktail waitress training, I just went to the hostess training. Uh-huh. And no one... Nobody cared. Nobody cared because it wasn't, you know, that organized. Sure. So I you know, was trained as a hostess, and that ended up being my job. So you're just weekend hostessing yes, at so. a nightclub <laughs> when you're not doing this... Social work, yes. Social work yes. during the day and the week. Exactly. So I was like, weekend hostessing, so it's just like, you know, greeting people. Uh-huh. Um, it was a pretty big nightclub, so there were like reserved VIP sections. Yes. And so, I, you know, I would seat people if they had, you know, reserved a section... And just kind of like, you know, be friendly, make sure everyone's having a good time. Uh And so that was really fun. And I was like, around that time, I had gotten my last rejections from grad school. And I was like, you know what? This is not, it's not working. Like, obviously, I'm not going to be a professor. I need to move (laughs) on. Um, And so I convinced the owner of the nightclub to hire me full time. Uh Uh-huh. And so... (laughs) So I was like, hey, you know, you should just hire me full time and I can like do all the administrative stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, okay. So like a few weeks later, okay, now keep in mind, this was a nightclub, but there wasn't like a big operation necessarily. So there was no full time employment. Um, there was like a so little, there's like no benefits no, or anything. This is just, so, you're just going to be a hostess all week. Right. So a couple weeks later, he was like, hey, were you serious about working full time? And I was like, Oh my gosh, was like in my mind, I'm like, was I serious? And I was like, yes. And he was like, <laughs> let's talk about it. So we talked about it. I negotiated my salary. Um, I negotiated. Oh, you're doing a salary? Yes, I negotiated wow. my salary. I negotiated money so that I could pay for health insurance. Uh-huh. I negotiated off time, like all of that. And so I quit my job uh, in social services. <laughs> social services. Yes, and I started working full time at the nightclub. Uh-huh. Um, and so I would work there like in the daytime and then also, you know, at night on the weekends when it was open for, you know, like, club time. 
How long did you do that for? Four years. You were a hostess for four years yes. at a nightclub? Yes. And then what happened? <laughs> and then I was like, so that was really fun. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Do you it. like sleep all day and just like <laughs> hang out at the club at night? Basically. So like, I mean, I worked during the day at the nightclub too, um, because there is a lot of administrative stuff. Like, you know, you have to order everything, you uh-huh. know, um, scheduling people. People want to make reservations. You sure. know, people still call in the daytime, you know, to do that like a regular business. So I was there during the day. Um, and you stay there all night, too? And then I would come back at night because the club was only open, like, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So then I would come back, you know, on those nights uh-huh. and also still hostess. Um, yeah. So I did that, yeah, for four years. I mean, it's salary job. I mean, why not, I guess, right? Exactly. So that's also probably why people think I'm extroverted. Because I was very, you know, like, very Bubbly friendly. and hostessy. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Well, I think you have to be for that. I mean, that sounds like you're, it's pretty extrovert just getting the job. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you're redefining yourself as this goes <laughs> on. Okay, so you host this, and okay, so you're hosting here for four years at this at this place, mm-hmm. and, and then what? And so eventually, you know, that was a lot of fun. It was completely different from anything I had ever done uh-huh. or even thought that I would do. And you know, I did your dad it. support all this? My dad is so supportive of everything. Like whether or not he's like actually supportive in his mind, he will be very supportive, like verbally. Uh-huh. So, and he always had this thing. My dad has always had things like, once you're 18, like you're an adult, the choices you make, you know, like reflect on you it's and on you have you. to deal with those consequences or benefits. Uh-huh. So I remember telling him and he was supportive. I mean, he did tell me later that he thought I had lost my mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, initially he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> If this is really what you right, want to do. Like, okay. Um, now I have an aunt who's very close to me and she was like, well, are you sure this is what you want to do? <laughs> but, you know, like once I make my mind up, like... That's it's it. already the decision has already been made, so uh-huh. you're already too late. Okay. So yeah, but I mean, I did that, and then after a while, I was like, you know what, this is fun. But I mean, to be honest, like as a woman working in nightlife, there is definitely like a shelf life on your involvement in nightlife. Unfortunately, as a hostess, yeah, because there's a double standard with like women and men. So you can be a man that's working in a nightclub. Uh-huh. You know, forever or whatever. But for a woman, you know, you, you have to be young. I don't know. I mean, you don't want to be like a fifty-year-old dude at a nightclub. Like, hey, you don't want to be. Drinks. <laughs> but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so, I mean, but I enjoy. Sorry if it. any of my listeners are fifty-year-old dudes at nightclubs. <laughs> I know you just lost a whole I, segment. There's of a whole bunch of people out there who are like, "Oh, what an asshole!" Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> Unsubscribe. I know. I'm going to lose all three of those 50-year-old <laughs> nightclub men. You will. Mm. Oh, well. Terrible. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, but after a while, I just, that sociological, I guess, mind where, you know. Came back. Came back. Because I started really <clears throat> realizing, like, oh, wow, like, people in the nightclub aren't just coming here just for fun. I mean, obviously, they are having a good time. But, I mean, there are people who come every single weekend, you know, every time the doors are open. And it's like, well, why would you, you know, like, come? Maybe they need that same escape that you needed. That's true. Except you got paid for it. That's true. Um, But I also found that people really saw the nightclub as kind of like their space, kind of like how you think of, like, Cheers or whatever, like your neighborhood bar where you Mm -hmm. see all your friends. And it was the same way for people who came to the nightclub. So I was like, wow, this is really a space 
where people can, you know, have friendships, but also become somebody, you know, whether you're like that popular person, you know, in the nightclub, it might sound silly, but we all have, I think, a desire to have connections to other people Mm -hmm. and be known. And so people had that same desire and they kind of, you know, access that in nightlife. And so that made me think like, wow, there's more going on here than just, you know, drinks and dancing, you know, music and stuff like that. And so that kind of reignited this, Mm -hmm. you know, desire to go back to school um, for sociology. And so I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply again. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe I'll go like get my MBA or something Uh because I was also learning so much on the business side. Yeah, of course. I and mean, just in the daily life of that for four years, you must have uh, gained some kind of insight into business. <laughs> exactly. So, yes, yeah, so I was like, maybe I'll just go get an MBA and do something, sure. you know, on that end. Um, <clears throat> but I did end up applying for grad school again. I had to, like, take the GRE again. So I was like, Ugh. I know, it was terrible. I was like, wait, what? Do I really have to do this? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, like, studied all day in between, you know, answering phone calls at the club. <laughs> So, yeah, and I took the GRE again. I scored higher than I did when I had taken an undergrad, so I was very impressed with myself. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, Yeah, and then I applied and was finally accepted, accepted into two schools, and so I was very happy. So where'd you go? So I'm currently at the University of Maryland, College Park, um, Mm -hmm. getting my PhD in sociology. That's exciting. It is very exciting. And you were just awarded... (laughs) At the Adoption Initiative Conference. Yes, I was just oh, a pre-dissertation scholarship. So the dissertation isn't even done yet. It's just in the <laughs> beginning stages. But there's a promise that yes. comes with this. Yes, well, they obviously see potential. And then now... <laughs> right. Do you not see potential? <laughs> I, mean, I hope there's something this there. This is your dissertation. I hope you right. see potential. I think it's going to be fabulous. Great. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and so with that award, then I'm invited to come present on my dissertation at the next conference, which will be in two years. Mm-hmm. So I have two years to get it together. And what is the dissertation on? Um, surprise, surprise, it's on Korean adoptees. What? <laughs> I know, right? Actually, that is kind of surprising because I feel like up until now that your sociology focus hasn't necessarily been on that. It sounds like it was very educationally or very developmentally with the with the social work system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's focused. true. Yeah, that is true. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to write a book about Korean adoptees. Since when? Since I was a young child growing up <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee. Since you were the little princess. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I mean, since... I mean, when I was younger and growing up, I remember going to, like, our public branch library and mm-hmm. looking for books about adoption. About Did you find any? No. And that was very devastating, you know, like, to not see yourself reflected anywhere. Right. Um, and so at that age, you know, whatever age that was, you know, I just knew, I was like, I'm going to write a book so that no other adopted child has to go to the library and not see themselves. Um, which, of course, now there are more, you know, more books about adoption, um, about adoptees, by mm-hmm. adoptees. Um, but at that time, I was like, I would not want any other child to feel this way where they have questions and they can't find any answers or they're just looking to see a reflection of themselves and they don't see that either yeah so yeah so I definitely you know had that desire so we 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 kind of blew past that all of this (laughs) did you do any what kind of adoption resources are there in Memphis as a child or older right yeah none to my knowledge um I mean I never knew any other adoptees. 
um, my parents weren't involved in any like adoption related services that might mm-hmm. just be a function of you know being adopted by a military family and then moving around a lot you know and not being connected through that way um, but also a function of my parents you know just thinking like this is our child like mm-hmm. we're gonna raise her like we would any other child um, so yeah so there were no adoption related services that I knew of or that my family knew of um, but when I was an undergrad, I met another Korean adoptee who had also grown up in Memphis, and he had oh, mentioned, really? yeah, he had mentioned that he had went to culture camp. So I'm where a, exactly, and I never asked. See, I need to ask more questions. That's what I've learned through this process. Like, I need to ask more questions. <laughs> that but, wasn't your immediate thought. Like, what? Why? No, where did I? Why? Why was, was I? <laughs> I was probably just so shocked to know that there, like, something like that even existed. Like, but I definitely remember him saying that. So, I mean, there must have been uh-huh. some resources of some sort. You didn't keep in touch with that guy. Um, no. I mean, I did speak with him. Like maybe a year or so ago. Oh, really? Yeah, but so you did kind of keep in yeah, touch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're maybe not friends. like all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, that was the only adoptee that I knew, and that wasn't until undergrad. was that like his first, your first adoptee that you'd ever met? Yeah, it was. Wow, it was. Yep. And so. When did you get involved with ALDC? Yeah, so I got involved with ALDC. Let's see. So once I moved to this area, which was about four years ago, I think I definitely Googled, like, Korean adoptees because I knew that there were a lot of Korean adoptees in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think I found the Facebook group probably and joined that. I went to an event. I'm trying to think, maybe when I first got here, so maybe like in 2012 or early 2013, I went to an event, um, it was like a leadership conference, a one-day leadership conference seminar, however you want to call it, Mm -hmm. Um, but then after that, I really didn't do anything, but I was still like a member of the Facebook group, Yeah, and which I think is kind of common, like people join the group and they kind of They go to one event and they're like, I don't know if this is for me. (laughs) Or if they take just Was it overwhelming? Because... This is like after that first guy. This is like the next big group of <laughs> right, people. That's true. Yeah, was it overwhelming? I think it probably was a little overwhelming um, to see a lot of Korean adoptees or even a lot of like Korean Americans. Mm-hmm. Because again, just like from being in Memphis, like my whole life up until you know it's black and white. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was probably overwhelming. Um, and I remember I met a Korean adoptee there who was who had lived in Memphis for a few years, right? So obviously there was another Korean adoptee. Where was that guy? <laughs> right. And he was um a several years older. Oh okay. Also. Um so yes, yeah, so I met him and then I met Spencer Stevens, mm-hmm. who is like the adoptee whisperer. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I said that. <laughs> and actually I think he got me connected to the Facebook group. So maybe I didn't know the Facebook group but had Googled and found this like event uh-huh. um, that was happening. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you join thinking like, oh, I could study these people? You know, interestingly, I didn't. You I don't participate know. in my study. I didn't think about that at all. I was like, well, I'm into so it was a leadership seminar. So I'm like, I'm definitely into like leadership seminars and like kind of self-improvement type of things. So mm-hmm. I was like, this just sounds interesting just because, you know, it's interesting. My, you know, apart from being a Korean adoptee event. So no, I actually didn't think about like, oh, I could possibly, you know, study <laughs> these people. <laughs> it was just like, oh, let me just kind of check it out and see, you know, what's going on. Uh-huh. 
And you, you stayed with it. So what, after the leadership conference, you kind of dropped out for a little while. Yeah, I dropped out what for a little while. In? I think I probably was a member of the Facebook group, but was really overwhelmed with like first year in grad school and kind of adjusted oh, yeah, sure. to all of that. Um, because I specifically remember like my first year and even part of my second year in grad school that I was really overwhelmed with everything and just like... Like the course load? Um, just, I guess, getting acclimated to being in academia again, um, feeling like I had to, you know, do so much, really just pressure I was putting on myself. Like I had to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I read every single word or make sure, you know, I did, you know, everything. Um, so I was super busy with school, unnecessarily uh-huh. <laughs> well I don't think that's necessarily true I mean uh, grad school is a lot of hard work yes it is that's true it I is I mean it's it's called graduate school for a reason like you're so ex- expected to be at that next level yeah that's true so yes I think it just kind of like I wanted to but I just didn't have the time or uh-huh. maybe didn't have the desire enough to make the time um so yes yeah, well, so, we were just focused yeah I was focused yes you're focused I like that. Yes, I was very <laughs> focused. I, yeah, on grad school, um, <laughs> but in the last year, let's see. Yeah, in the last year, I was like, okay, I do know I want my dissertation to be about Korean adoptees. So I guess I actually have to like really get involved. <laughs> so yeah, and then I started going to like you know the monthly events and just mm-hmm. meeting more people. So yeah. So what is exactly is the dissertation about? Um, that's a great question. It's in its, like I said, it's in its early stages. So uh-huh. broadly, very broadly, it's about Korean adoptee identities. Mm-hmm. So racial, ethnic, cultural, um, you know, adoptee specific identity. And as I kind of talk to more people and gather more information, then it'll narrow down. But I can say that I'm very interested in this idea of a Korean adoptee identity and a Korean adoptee culture. Mm-hmm. So you hear people mention like, oh, there's definitely like a Korean adoptee culture but no one has really detailed like what does that mean what does it look like how would you if you know how would you know it you know what are you know what is it can you describe it so I'm really interested in kind of like laying out the outline for what yeah. a Korean adoptee culture is and with the hope of having that be applicable to other transracial adoptee mm-hmm. groups um, and then also just trying to understand how culture works more broadly as well okay so you're kind of canvassing this. You're, you're blazing a path forward <laughs> yes. for Korean adoptees. Yes. As a subculture. Exactly. Yes. That's exciting. It is so exciting. How, 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 how can people participate in the studies? Oh, well, they can definitely reach out to me via email, wendyml at umd.edu, um, or Facebook, Wendy Marie. Yeah. <laughs> that's it that's it I mean I guess they could call me on my cell phone <laughs> <laughs> that's a different kind of hotline bling right? song <laughs> so yeah I mean I don't know <laughs> probably email would be the best keep it professional yeah yeah well okay so, but I thought you had an online survey as well yes. and then there's also an interview thing are these separate or is it part of the same thing um, right so it's all- quantitative and then qualitative you got it man yes. I'm pretty good at this yeah you are right on point. Yes. I, could, I could be a grad student. You could be a grad student. <laughs> yes. All right. So. So, yeah. So there is an online survey and there is an interview portion. And I'm very happy to talk to people for an interview or if they just want to take the survey. That's great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find they can find more information on my personal website, which is. Oh, you have a personal yes, website. I do. WendyMLayborn.com. And it has like my email contact, phone number and all of that. 
Okay. And that's for both things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is the survey posted online somewhere people can just go on there and start answering questions immediately? Yes, they could. Yes. Is that also on the website? Yes. Awesome. And then you also participated in the uh, Adoptee Citizenship Act lobbying the other day as well. Yes, I did. And that was really fantastic to actually be on the Hill and talking to different senators and representatives Mm -hmm. about the importance of getting this bill passed. Do you want more information about the bill? Sure. You can talk... All you want about the bill (laughs) and the lobbying and your experiences. Um, So this was the second day of action um, for the Adoptee Citizenship Act of 2015, because that's when it was introduced into Mm -hmm. the um, Senate. Um, And so this bill closes a loophole in the Child Citizenship Act of 2000. So with that act, um, it granted U.S. citizenship to any international adopted child who was under the age of 18 at that time. Um, And so obviously that left out a lot of adoptees who were over the age of 18. So Mm -hmm. prior to that um, act, um, prior to that legislation, adoptive parents had to make sure they naturalized their child and go through the process of that. But in some cases, adoptive parents didn't, whether it was because of neglect or just because they didn't realize they had to. Um, And so there are actually, I believe the number is about 18,000 Korean adoptees who don't have citizenship. Yeah. Um, Which is just, you know, it's, amazing to think about it's very heartbreaking actually because you think you know as an adoptive parent you've adopted a child you think like this child is my child so they should have all you know the rights and benefits that I have as a citizen of the United States Um, but that wasn't actually the case Mm -hmm. so if you didn't you know make sure to go through that process of naturalizing your child and they could be you know without citizenship and not find out until much later in life so with the adoptee citizenship act it's um, again just Um, covering that loophole and granting citizenship to those adoptees who, you know, fell outside of the scope of the the Child Citizenship Act. Okay. Who did you talk to out there? Oh, wow. So, you know what? I should have been way more prepared. You've asked me so many questions where I was like, "Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Um, So we talked to representatives from New York. Oh, yeah? Texas. um, Arkansas. Guam. Um... Where else? Those are the ones that I remember that the group that I was a part of went to. So there mm-hmm. were multiple groups that were seeing, you know, different people so we could, you know, cover more ground over yeah, yeah. this one day. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we talked to different staffers and kind of explained the bill to them. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it gets bumped up, you know, and hopefully we'll make it to their actual boss's desk. So yeah, they can, yeah. you know, sign on to this bill. How can people also help out in this effort? That is a great question. So if they go to... Look, I'm like, where can they go? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> no, I should know. So the Day of Action was organized by <clears throat> the National hmm, Association of Korean American Educational Services. NACASAC? Yes. But I mean, like, people aren't going to know how to, like, Google NACASAC, right? Like, I mean, I think so. Are they? If we spell it out. Okay, yeah. N A K. A S E C dot com. Is it dot com or dot org? I think it's dot org. Oh, so much misinformation. People are not going to be able to get on board with this. Oh. So go to nas- nakasec.org. Yes, dot org. And they can find more information. Yes. 
And they can call in yes. and email yes. and write. Exactly. Write letters to your representatives, your senator, call their office, um, you know, email, make an appointment on the Hill, definitely, yeah. to just but stay in those people's ears. They usually have, like, town halls and stuff, too, so you can meet up with them after that. Yes. So, yeah, we definitely need a lot of people to really push for this bill, not just adoptees, but all people should really be interested in securing citizenship mm-hmm. for adoptees. Well, so I also, I learned this interesting statistic from the Donaldson Adoption Institute watching their live streams of their stuff, is that one in six Americans are actually, uh, have some sort of relationship with an adoptee, whether it's that they're related to one or they're friends with one or they just know one. Mm-hmm. So that's one in six people should be calling their representative Yes, they should. I actually saw a census statistic that put it at like one in three. Oh, really? Yes. Well, so that means my audience should be way bigger than. (laughs) 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 So yes, so everyone should be calling. Everybody. Yes. Yes. Um, And you're going to the gathering later this year? Yes, I am. I will be in Korea in August for the gathering. I'm super excited. I haven't been back to Korea since 2003 or 2004. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So this is going to be your second time back? My second time back. How was the first time? The first time was great. Um, I went for a semester abroad. Oh, very nice. Yes. Um, So it was... Yeah, I really didn't have any... I don't think any burning desire to go back to Korea at that time. Um, but I must have, like, obviously thought about it to some extent. But I just uh-huh. remember um, being at this talk at the University of Memphis. And the speaker was like, you have to know, like, your roots and your history. And for some reason, I was like, it really struck me the way that she presented it and the way that she said it. Mm. And I was like, yes. And the next day when I was walking through the dorm, there was this big poster from the study abroad office that said, like, imagine Asia. And I was like, yes, this is a sign. I imagine Asia. I'm going to the study abroad office. Wow. And so I, like, went to the office. I was like, I want to study abroad in Korea. And, like, the next semester, I was in Korea. Wow. Yeah. So what did your dad say? Um, Is he excited? Yeah, he's supportive. So, yeah, he was like, do it. Um, Although it was really interesting because around that time, I think, like, SARS was, like, so everyone was like, are you sure you want to go? You're going to get SARS. (laughs) You have to be careful. And people just all of a sudden, like, had all kinds of advice about Korea. And I'm like, okay, where were y'all all these past years? Like y'all suddenly... <laughs> when you thought I was Chinese. Right, like y'all suddenly have all this information about Korea. Like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, and of course the same questions like, are you going to find your birth parents? And you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So people had so many opinions about Korea. And I was like, who knew? Y'all never have brought any of this up before. Um But I was like, I'm not going to think about y'all's opinions. (laughs) Like, thanks for sharing them. Um, And I really went with, like, no expectations. Mm -hmm. Like, I did not read anything. I did not try to talk to people. Do any research? No research other than, like, the medical stuff. Like, what shots do I need to have? You know, like, stuff like that. But I was like, no, I just want to go and just, like, experience it without any type of, like, expectations, preconceived notions. You didn't try to learn the language or anything? Nope. I just went. So how was that? Um, it was very scary because... Because you didn't know the language. I didn't know the language in a country where everyone knows the language. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it was overwhelming. I remember, like, the first 
night I got there because I was, you know, study abroad. So I was staying on campus and I was so afraid to like go out into the city because I had already been bombarded with like so many people trying to talk to me and like expecting me to know what they were saying. And I'm like, no clue. And like, you cannot tell like Korean people in Korea that you don't speak Korean when you are Korean. So they're like, yeah, no, whatever. Um, So I was so terrified of like going out and about. So what did you do? I mean, you know, eventually you have to. (laughs) You have to go outside. I mean, you could just... (laughs) hole up in your dorm room or whatever. No, I mean, eventually I did, and I mean, it got better. What university did you study out there? I was at Aju University in Suwon. Oh, Suwon. That's not even in Seoul. That's like south, like an hour. Yeah, but I mean, I think it was a great city to be in. Yeah, it's like a pretty big city. Yeah, and so I was there. I mean, I met other international students Mm -hmm. and then other, you know, like Korean students, obviously, Korean, Korean students. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm... I got around some kind of way with my limited (laughs) language abilities. But, I mean, I also learned a lot of language while I was there. Because, Uh again, like, no one's going to speak to you in English. So you have to learn something in order to, like, navigate the world. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it turned out okay. (laughs) Well, you're back here. (laughs) Right. Like, you survived. I survived. So, yeah. Was that your first time eating, like, Korean food and everything? Um, Hmm. I mean, there was a Korean restaurant in Memphis, so I'm going to say it might not have been the first time. Did you go to that quite frequently or just like every now and then? You know what? Actually, you know what? I am going to say it might have been the first time I ate Korean food. Really? Because now... Are you too scared in Memphis? I think there was, like like I said, there was one Korean restaurant (laughs) in Memphis. Uh Uh-huh. and it was not, like, in the neighborhood that I grew up or, you know, like, near the university. So I don't think I ever went. But I distinctly remember going afterwards because my dad and I went. Okay. So, yeah. Did you want to, like, show him Korean food? Yes, I did. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, we went there. So, yes, yeah, so it may have been the first time that I ate Korean food. What was it like? Delicious. I ate everything, like literally everything. Yeah? Yes. I ate so much food and it was so delicious. I gained like 15 pounds while I was over there, like for real. I gained like 15 pounds, but I was just like, I don't care. I'm like eating all this food. And it was like, (laughs) you know, like street food. I mean, that, like every, like restaurants, like let's just eat all of the food. So you didn't like know any Korean. But you were, you were just pointing to stuff on the menu or, yes. like, looking at other people's table, like, like give me that. that. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I ate everything. It was great. The only thing that I did not eat, which made me sick to my stomach, just the smell of it, was bandegi. Is that, like, the oh. little larva? Is that oh, how you say yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I never ate that either. Mm-mm. Just the smell of it was, like, <laughs> So I was like, nope, that one, no. Not going to do it. But all the jigues, all the barbecue. Absolutely. I was like, all of it shall be mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we had a good meal tonight. We did. That was pretty legit. Yeah. At, uh, what was it, Zanchi? Zanchi, yes. That was delicious. That was good. Mm -hmm. They have some serious bibimbap there. Yes, they do. As soon as they get their liquor license, I think they'll be in business. (laughs) I agree. For sure. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Other than the study site and your website, is there anywhere else that people can find you online? Um, uh, people can always find me on Facebook if they can find me on Facebook. Um, Are you like super hidden? No, Are you like really no, private? Like my lockdown? name on Facebook is Wendy Marie, and there are a lot of Wendy Marie. So depending oh, upon I like see. their own network, it might take them a while to mm-hmm. find me. Um, so yeah, so they can find me on Facebook. 
Um, on Instagram, Wendy Marie only. On Twitter, <laughs> Wendy Marie only. Um, on my personal website, Wendy M. Layborn, L-A-Y-B-O-U-R-N.com. Um, on, I do have a blog that I very rarely post at, um, which is SavvySunAh.com, S-U-N-A-H. So, yeah. Is that your Korean name? It is my Korean name. Wow. Yep. Have you have you done a birth search? Oh, you know, I recently. Oh, this will be news to all of my family. Yes, I recently <laughs> um, initiated a birth family search. Um, just this year, actually. Oh, really? Like maybe a few months ago, I initiated a birth family search, which also had never been really on my radar. Uh huh. So what prompted this? Just all the ALDC stuff and the study and everything? It was the ALDC stuff and actually something that Stephen um, J. Hill said to me, who's also a member of ALDC. Um, he was explaining, you know, why he decided to do his birth search. And he was like, you know, once I thought about my birth mom and, you know, that she might have questions or, you know, as a mother, like, of course you think about your child at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I realized that I was the only person who could answer any questions she had or provide any information to her. Yeah, so that's he, interesting. Yeah, and so he was like, you know, once I started thinking about her and not necessarily just myself, he mm-hmm. was like, that made him, you know, prompted him to go through with the birth search. And, you know, when he said that, I was like, that makes really sense, oh, really a lot of sense because we think about it, or at least I had think, thought about it in relation to me and what do I want or you know whatever but it was like it's not just me there is another person a very important person <laughs> in all of this so I initiated the birth search yeah maybe like February or March oh yeah uh, but I was still very nervous about it um, but I was like you know what sure, just yeah. do it um, and so I did and then I you know had gotten a response back maybe you know like a few weeks maybe a month later and that my case had been um, sent to the police for more investigation Mm -hmm. and then I emailed them maybe a month or so ago just to kind of like double check where it's at yeah and they said that they had located her oh really yes I was like okay so y'all weren't gonna email me and tell me that (laughs) when was I going to get an update about right exactly so I you know so they were like yes we have located her and which agency is this um Social Welfare Society. Okay. So, yeah, so they're like, we, you know, sent, I guess, you know, like the telegram <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> the singing telegram. Right. The te- yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then we'll let you know, uh-huh. you know, anything else. So that was about maybe a month ago. Okay. That I had that so it's moving. Yeah, so it's I think moving it's on. moving along. Wow. Yeah. So you excited? Uh, Do you think you're going to get some more information while you're over there? You're going to visit SWS? You know, I hadn't thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Have you learned any Korean since your last trip? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, well, then- at least you'll be surrounded by people this time. <laughs> you know, they can- Adoptees will help you out while you're over there. Yes. That's funny that you mentioned it because I had really just been focusing on like, yay, go back to Korea. You know, this is going to be awesome. Uh-huh. And then I think it was like at um, the AKA anniversary weekend where people had brought up like, oh, this fear of like not knowing the language, like the first time they went back or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, the language. Like, yeah. Okay. I should think about this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Good luck with all that. Thanks. (laughs) Everything sounds like, you know, it'll turn out fine. It will. It's going to be fabulous. I'm sure it'll turn out great. You're going to have a good time over there. Yes. 
You seem like it, no matter what happens, you're resilient and you like have a can-do attitude about life. That like you're indomitable. Yes, <laughs> I think it's gonna be great no matter what happens. I I agree. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, have a good night. You too. All right, and that was my conversation with Wendy Marie. Wendy Marie, lovely lady. Happy to have her on the show and hear her amazing work and her amazing stories. Uh, pretty crazy life, huh? Pretty awesome. Amazing. I'm really happy that she took the time out of her busy schedule and to travel all the way from Maryland into D.C. proper to have dinner, share a meal, and then conduct an interview in the middle of a really weird, like, thunderstorm that rolled through. I don't know if you heard any of that during the interview, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy out there at the time. Anyways, uh, what's happening with you? What's new with you? I hope that you enjoyed that conversation and uh i hope you go back and listen to other episodes as well uh for instance uh, episode 15 with julie young just went out last night to uh celebrate her birthday a month after her birthday <laughs> since i couldn't make the uh, original birthday party we did a redo a redo dinner at a jungno restaurant it's a korean restaurant on 32nd street i believe it's 22 west 32nd street new york new york if you ever uh, are in town, you should check that out. Very good barbecue place if you're into Korean barbecue. Uh, and then we went for karaoke, or norebang, as it is known in the Korean community. And it's a great time. And I look forward to uh, hosting anybody who wants to go do that in New York as well. Because it's fun. It's fun. Anyways, uh, you can always get in touch with me. Uh, Mike McDonald at TheRamblerADHD at gmail.com. Send me an email. Drop me a line. All right? Send me an email. Tell me how much you uh, like the show, enjoy the show, or if you would like to be interviewed for the show. That's always welcome, too. I'm always looking for new guests and new people to talk to and uh, record their conversations with me and then post it on the air for all people to hear. If that sounds awesome to you and you want to share your story, please get in touch with me. You can do that via email. You can uh, like me on Facebook. Send me a message. I'm at uh, the Rambler ADHD, uh, Facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD. Or if you're on Twitter, I'm on the Twitter sphere at the Rambler ADHD as well. Okay, so you got three methods of being able to communicate with me. That should be more than enough in this electronic age. All right. If you're in the New York area, we could do it live. Uh, I do travel around sometimes. I'll be going to Minnesota and Michigan very shortly. I don't think I'm going to have any time in Michigan to do any shows, but uh, in Minnesota, I hope to be doing that. Oh, I also have a, a live Google Hangout with uh, China's Children International, and that is going to be sometime on August 24th, probably the evening of August 24th. Uh, that'll be a, I think it's going to be a live Google Hangout, and then um, you'll, hopefully it'll post on YouTube. That'd be cool. I would like that. You can see my uh, radio face. It's a face for radio. Uh, <laughs> so please join in on that uh, Google Hangout and uh, watch it if you can. I'll uh, send out more details as they come in. Uh, what else? Uh, the music today is provided by The Bell and Needle Drop Records and a collective effort, which is the song you're hearing in the background right now. The sweet, sweet sounds of a collective effort. Listen. 
You guys have an excellent week. And to those of you going to Korea next week for the gathering, you guys enjoy yourself. Okay. I'm sad and sorry that I can't be there with you to hang out with you, to go partake in all the amazing conversations and workshops that I'm sure are going to happen out there. Uh, as well as your socialization in the nightlife. If this is your first time going to Korea, enjoy yourself. Take it easy, okay? Be safe. Prepare yourself emotionally (laughs) for a roller coaster. It's going to be a roller coaster, but I think you're going to have a great time. You're going to have fun, and you're going to grow as a human being, as a person, okay? So enjoy yourselves out there in Korea. I'm sad I can't go. And, uh, you know, if people don't know about the show, then this is a good opportunity for you to tell them that there's an amazing podcast featuring adoptees hosted by an adoptee. <laughs> and if they want to be on it, I'd be glad to hear their stories as well. And uh, encourage them to subscribe and rate me on iTunes and Google Play. Make nice comments on there. It really helps out uh, on the charts, on the charts, on the podcast charts. All right, so you guys have a great week. Enjoy Korea if you're going to Korea. If you're staying out here in the summer heat, uh, go to the pool or the beach or something. Enjoy your summer, all right? Please tune in next week when I have my conversation with Cynthia Gordon Burns. If you don't know who that is, give her a quick Google and CBS, okay? CBS, like uh, the, was it Columbia Broadcasting Station? Is that what CBS stands for? And Cynthia Gordon Burns, you will find some pretty amazing stuff. All right. And you get a little preview, a little taste of my conversation with her. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.